Welcome to the Five State Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Mann, and I record this podcast to invest in the move of God that's happening here in our five-state region of South Dakota, Minnesota, North Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska. And uh, in this podcast episode today, I am going to share with you uh, three short recordings that I did on my YouTube channel, which by the way, you can check out. It's called Five State Revival um, on my YouTube channel. I encourage you to subscribe to it and you can actually watch these sessions uh, if you want to watch the the video of it. But I'm going to share the audio recording of three different videos that I did that talked about what the Bible says concerning Jesus as a righteous judge. And so we talk about things like um, how can a merciful God also be a God of wrath at the same time? And uh, so I'm going to talk about that in this video. We talk about what does Jesus being a righteous judge have to do with understanding end times prophecies in the Bible? We're going to answer that question in this podcast as well. So anyway, I'd love to hear your feedback. And especially if you have any questions about the end times, if there's something I say in these videos that you're like, ooh, I have a question about that. Um, I'd love to hear feedback from you. You can email me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. That's the number five and then staterevival at gmail.com and uh, email me your questions. I'd love to hear them and uh, maybe I'll even be able to respond to them in a future recording that I do and then answer your question that way. Or maybe there's something I don't talk about concerning the end times that you're like, oh, I, w- I want to know what you think about this. Um, feel free to ask me and hopefully I- I'll be able to get to that on a future video. So So uh, without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump straight into the recording right after this word from our sponsors. In this video today, I want to focus on a theme that's actually a major biblical theme, but it's actually uh, misunderstood by a, a significant percentage of the body of Christ, even in the Western world. But this is so important uh, for you to uh, understand uh, and celebrate if you're going to really understand what g- the Bible says about that Jesus is doing in the end times. And the subject I'm talking about in this video is introducing Jesus the judge. So uh, there are really probably, uh, I-, I would say, three major biblical themes that um, are, are really important to know and understand, you have a good grasp, working knowledge of, to understand the the end times prophecies that are in the Bible. And one of those, of course, is uh, we've already talked about in the first four videos on this playlist. It's understanding the kingdom of God. It's the, the idea of Jesus physically ruling the nation's and on this planet and uh, his his eternal plan to uh, establish his kingdom on this earth and uh, fulfill his original plan for human beings and for the earth. The second uh, major biblical theme that's important to understand is, and we'll get into this in later videos in this playlist, it's the, the significance and role of Israel in God's eternal plan. That's very, very important to understand, and we'll get into that later. And then the the third theme is what I already mentioned. It's the glory and importance of Jesus functioning as a righteous judge who punishes sin and rewards righteousness. I'm going to take the next two or three videos in this playlist and kind of dive into that a little bit. So one of the most important ways that we can prepare ourselves to thrive uh, in the midst of the great shaking that 
uh, is going to continue engulfing the world. You know, the coronavirus is just a, a, a little shaking. It was a real shaking, but it's very, very small compared to the shakings the Bible says are still to come on the earth. And so this is a great opportunity to say, okay, you know what? Like, this is a wake-up call for me. I need to get into the Word and prepare my heart and prepare my mind. What do I need to know about the end times and God's plan for the earth? And how do I prepare my heart to thrive and flow with what God is doing? And one of the ways is to understand, and I would say this, and rejoice in Jesus' activities as a judge. Now, I want you to hang with me because there's actually, it's likely that you've maybe come from a church in the Western world that um, has even taught that Jesus you know, that was Old Testament, you know, when God was a judge in the Old Testament, but that's not who Jesus is in the New Testament. And I want you to hang with me because that's actually not an accurate teaching. Um, Many Christians do not know how to properly respond to Jesus, the judge. And consequently, they react improperly to his judgments by either denying his role uh, in judgment or they're embarrassed by his activities as a judge uh, or they misrepresent his heart behind the judgment. So understanding God's heart and his purpose behind his judgments, it strengthens our love for him. It empowers us to stand firm in righteousness. It enables us to proclaim the beauty and goodness of God that is being manifested through his judgments. And we need to be able to know that and be able to articulate that to others who are confused and even disillusioned by his judgments. And so this is a major biblical theme, not only in the Old Testament, but throughout the New Testament. I could show you passages in the gospel where Jesus, is pronou- Jesus the Savior of the world, is pronouncing judgment on cities. Um, I, I could show you multiple passages in the gospels. I could show you mo- passages in the book of Acts where God is manifesting judgments against people uh, in the book of Acts to advance his purposes. I could show you passages throughout the epistles and even in the book of Revelation where God, where Jesus is exercising his authority as a judge and he's actually releasing judgments on the earth that are serious, disciplinary judgments as well as even people dying for uh for uh, dishonoring the Lord and, and uh, abusing the Lord's Supper, etc. First Corinthians 11, I'm thinking about there. But I'm, my point is, Jesus is a judge, just like he's always been a judge. And uh, he right now, he's functioning in his role as a judge. And rather than just denying that, in spite of the fact that the scriptures are filled with examples, I mean New Testament even, filled with examples of Jesus beautifully exercising his role as a judge, um, rather than just like purposefully ignoring those passages or trying to explain them away, I think we need to say, God, I'm going to humble myself before you and before the scriptures. Show me who you are and teach me who you really are and help me to worship you as you really are. You know, there's a passage that talks about this in uh, the book of Exodus where uh, Moses says to God, it's Exodus 33, 18. Moses asks God this question. He says, God, show me what make, show me your glory. And really what he's asking is like, God, show me what makes you so glorious. Show me what is awesome about you. Show me the, the what is it about you in your opinion 
Show me what makes you so glorious and wonderful and awesome. And God actually likes that Moses asked him this question. And God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to do it. And he, and he, he has Moses. It's like several days of preparation uh, until God's going to show his glory to Moses. And then finally, all the preparations are done. And uh, in verse uh, 18 of chapter 33 of Exodus, um, uh, Moses asked that question. And then finally, in, um, sorry, Exodus 34, verse 5, I'll just read it to you. Finally, the day comes and it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with him and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And so right away, we see that God comes and he reveals his nature. He's like, here's what's God explaining, in his opinion, what makes himself so glorious. And God says, here's what makes me glorious. It's my nature. My nature is what makes me so glorious. And then he, he reveals his nature to Moses and he begins in that first section by saying, I'm a merciful God. If I were to sum it up, he says, I'm merciful. This aspect of my nature is beautiful. This is glorious. But God doesn't stop there. The passage continues. God continues to Moses. He says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. So it's interesting. God says, here's what's glorious about me. It's my nature. But when God reveals his nature to Moses and he sums it up, he basically says, I am merciful and I am just. And I, I am not one and I'm not, or, and I'm not just the other. I am fully merciful and I am fully just, and I never act in a way that compromises my justice, and I never act in a way that is without mercy. It's like God is fully merciful, and he's fully just, and, and, and Moses responds to this revelation of who God is in the right way, the only appropriate way. He just bows down to the ground and worships the Lord as he is. And I really feel like in the body of Christ, we need to learn to celebrate and worship God as a judge. And I think we do a pretty good job of worshiping the Lord for his merciful nature. You know, we love the forgiveness of sins. He died on the cross. He forgives us. He's a good father. He's merciful. He's patient with us. He's compassionate. He gives us grace. He helps us. I mean, we love this. And this is a, we should celebrate this. But I think a lot of times people make the mistake that they, they try to define God according to their human wisdom, which is limited, instead of according to revelation as God reveals himself in the scriptures. And so they rationalize in their mind, they're like, well, God is merciful, so he can't be judgmental, and they throw out all this stuff. But God's like, hey, who are you to misrepresent who I am? God says, I am merciful, but I am also just. And God is not embarrassed about his activities as a judge. It's actually a manifestation of his goodness. I want you to hear the scripture again that God spoke to Moses. It says, um, right, he says, I, verse 19 of Exodus 33, he says, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. 
And then he proclaims his name and he says, God, what is it? Show me your goodness, right? The goodness of God. And God says, I'm merciful and I'm just. I punish sin. That's part of my goodness. And we need to come with a humble heart before the Lord and say, God, I wanna learn like a child before you with childlike humility and faith. I'm just gonna act like I know nothing except what you show me is true in the scriptures. God, who are you? Show me your beauty as a just judge. Show me your beauty as a merciful, tender, patient, loving God. And then we need to like learn to celebrate both aspects of his nature in this way because both his mercy and his judgments are actually expressions of his goodness according to this passage and and other places in the Bible as well. So I want to make this statement. There is no contradiction between God's justice and his mercy. So because God is good and he's holy, he is going to fix the problem of evil in the world. You know, the world is filled with evil and sin and brokenness. Probably right now as I'm speaking, there's people being murdered in the world. There's people who are dying of starvation. There's people who are being oppressed. There are people who are being raped and sexually abused and trafficked. There are people who are being taken advantage of by others. There are people who have broken hearts. There are people that are uh, on and on on and on. There's so much sin and brokenness in the world. And um, God's like, because I'm good, I am going to solve the problem. I'm going to get rid of the evil that's on the planet and heal the nations. And we're like, yeah, awesome. Now here's the deal. Plan A is mercy. God's plan A is to fix the problem of evil in the world through mercy. So if we will repent, God will forgive us and transform our nature. And this will fix the problem of evil in us through what Jesus did on the cross and then our willing cooperation with the Holy Spirit as he sanctifies us. Plan A, mercy, is God's preferred method for fixing the problem of evil in the world. But because God is good, if we refuse to cooperate, and the Bible makes it clear because of the sinful nature, there are huge percent, there's a huge percentage of the world that will continue in their rebellion in spite of the goodness of God and the mercy of God. They will harden their hearts and persist in that selfish, sinful nature. God says, okay, if you're not going to cooperate, I'm still going to fix the problem of evil and get rid of it in the world. So plan B is God's wrath and judgment. If we reject God's mercy, God will still fix the problem of evil by imprisoning us in hell forever. We get to choose which method that God uses with us. We can humble ourselves and uh, repent and cooperate with God's mercy to get rid of our sin, or we can stubbornly harden our hearts to persist in our rebellion, and we will experience God's wrath. Either way, God will manifest his goodness by fixing the problem of evil in the world without violating anybody's free will for which the nations for all of eternity will rejoice that he is so good and he his and so intent on healing the nations and fixing the problem of evil that he was able to be merciful and exercise his justice without any contradiction and um he's beautiful in his uh role as a judge so i'm going to this is just introduction to the topic of jesus as a judge but it's like why is this important And here's why, is because you're going to read the end-time prophecies in the Bible that talk about the return of Jesus, and you are going to vividly see uh, Jesus exercising his role as a judge, like 
with intensity and uh, and and to perfection. And and it's like if you don't have a grid in your theological world uh, in your mind for like no no that can't be Jesus he can't be a judge that was Old Testament if if you think that way you're not going to understand these passages that talk about literal events that God will do uh, uh, as we approach the return of Jesus and even during the return of Jesus so I want to just introduce this topic to you and encourage you don't take my word for stuff just because I say it search these scriptures for yourself. And see if these things are so. And I think if we come humbly before the scriptures with an honest heart and just say, God, okay, teach me. I don't I want to be a lover of truth. I don't want to just like espouse the theology that my church taught or my Bible college taught or my favorite preacher on the internet taught. I want to know what is real and what is true. And according to the scriptures, I want to see it for myself in the word. And I want to know you for real as you really are and know how to respond to you. Because I th- here's one of the deal. When we come to see the beauty of Jesus as a judge, it actually strengthens us in love for him. It strengthens our confidence in his leadership. And it actually strengthens the revelation we have of his goodness. And so anyway, I'll just end that for there. In the last part of the video, I'd like to take a few minutes to end these videos by answering questions that you have about the end times and um, and the return of Jesus. So you can ask your questions by you know writing them out in the comment section below this video, and I'll try to uh, keep an eye on that, and um, hopefully I'll see it and, and maybe be able to answer it in one of these videos. Or you can email your question to me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. So that's the number five, staterevival at gmail.com. So the question that I have today is from um, a a friend of mine, and this is what he wrote. He said, a friend of mine heard a Christian lady on uh, teaching on on television or YouTube or something, and and she was talking about Matthew 24, 36, and she said that even Jesus doesn't know when he is going to return. Since Jesus is God, doesn't he know when he will return? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked me that. And uh, so let me just read Matthew 24, 36, and then I'll share my answer. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus spoke of his return, and this is what he said, quote, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, here it is, nor the Son, but only the Father. So as a human being, Jesus did not know. I mean, from this passage, it's very clear. He did not know the exact, the day or the hour. And I would say you could reset the exact date on the calendar and the exact hour of the day um, that he would return. I mean, he did not know that. And he makes it clear. He's like, no one knows. I mean, at the time when he was sharing this with his disciples in Matthew 24, he's like, guys, there's not anyone, not even the angels, only the father right now can tell you the exact date and the hour, the time of day that I'm going to be returning. He's like, I don't even know that right now. And, um, So that was pretty clear. However, I want to emphasize this. If you read this whole passage in Matthew chapter 24, and and even after this verse in verse 36, Jesus' primary emphasis is that we should know the season in which he will return. He's actually not making this huge point about, guys, don't be predicting dates because nobody's going to know exactly. Actually, he's in the context, he's making this really big, emphatic point. He's like, guys, 
Right before verse 36, for all of Matthew 24, Jesus has been giving many detailed signs in chronological order that will signal his return and the end of the age. And um, he's actually, he gives them, because they asked him the question. They said, Jesus, uh, what will be... When what will be the signs of your return and and the end of the age? And Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll do that with you. And Jesus gives them a whole bunch of detailed signs. He's like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And here's the thing, he gives the signs in chronological order. So Jesus is like, you, when you see this sign, this is the next one that's coming, and then the next one, and then this one's coming, and then all, leading all the way up to his return. And then Jesus... um makes this statement. He says, now, after giving all these signs in chronological order, he says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things and all the signs that he just told them about in Matthew 24, he says, you know that it is near. It's right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation... Uh, in the, that will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. In other words, Jesus is like, although nobody will be able to predict the exact date and the exact time of day of his return, Jesus did emphasize that the generation of people that is alive on the earth to see all the signs he gave in Matthew 24 fulfilled, he says that generation is going to be the generation that sees his return. They will not pass away until he returns. And so we should be able to recognize the season. And he told us to watch and pray, pay attention to these signs, study them in the scripture, talk to the Holy Spirit about them. And uh, But yeah, even Jesus didn't know the exact day or hour, but he was making the point we should understand the season by studying the times with a prayerful, watchful spirit. I want to answer the question, how can a merciful God also be a God of wrath? And really, I'm just continuing uh, the theme I introduced in the, la- the previous video on this playlist, where I talked about I was introducing Jesus as a judge. And so that kind of begs the question, if God is a judge, how can be a merciful God also be a God of wrath? Well, we know for certain that God is kind. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. We see that in many scriptures, Psalm 145, verse 8, uh, Psalm 86, verse 5. And then it goes a step further. We even know that God is kind to his enemies, seeking to lead them to repentance so that they can be saved and avoid experiencing the wrath of God that they deserve. So we see that in the Bible. Like even people who are entrenched in rebellion against God, God isn't just this angry, trigger-happy God with a big gun who's just like, I'm looking for a reason to take these people out. Not at all. He's a merciful God. He's a merciful Savior. He is a God of wrath. But he's, he, and he's actually even showing kindness to his enemies while they're in rebellion against him. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, uh, Christ died for us. And that's how God showed his love for us. So God is even kind to his enemies, wanting to lead them away from their rebellion so that they can be saved. And we see that in Acts 14, 15 through 17. We also see that in Matthew 5, 44 and 45 and uh, other places as well. So the scriptures do clearly proclaim that God is merciful and kind, and we want to proclaim that message in fullness because we, we rejoice in that. There's no hope without that. However, the scriptures also make it equally clear that God is also a God of wrath at the same time. 
So I don't want you to take my word for this, just hearing me. I want you to listen. I'm going to read, you know, four or five passages of Scripture from both the Old and New Testament that clearly shows that God is also a God of wrath. In Nahum 1, verses 2 through 8, says, The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. I mean, that's an intense scripture. Like, we want to know God as he really is and worship him and understand him as he is and then worship him accordingly. And this makes it really clear that we need to have a place in our understanding of seeking to know him better. There is the truth that he is a God of wrath as well as a God of mercy. In Psalm 7, verse 11, it says, God is is a righteous judge. Listen, a God who expresses his wrath every day. I mean, that's intense. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. Now these are going to be some New Testament passages. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So this is talking about when Jesus returns. Listen to verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. John 3, verse 36, this is Jesus. This is a quote from Jesus. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, listen, but the wrath of God remains on him. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 6, Paul said, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly or sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Listen, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So it's really clear. I could give you a ton more passages in both the Old and the New Testaments that shows God is merciful, but he's also just, and he's a God of wrath at the same time. So it begs the question, How do you reconcile these two aspects of his nature? How can a merciful God also be a God of wrath? And I want to answer by saying God is perfectly whole in his character. He never suspends his goodness in order to exercise his wrath. In fact, God's wrath is actually a manifestation of his goodness and his pure heart. God is not bipolar with dramatic mood swings and unpredictable behavior. He is always consistent and predictable in the way that he treats us. So I want to give you real quickly six facts about God's wrath and his mercy. Number one, God's wrath is always directed toward eliminating wickedness so that righteousness, peace, joy, faith, hope, love can flourish. This is a wonderful thing because without justice, there can never be peace and heaven uh, on the earth. Um, You know, I would just say this. um, 
we're, we're pretty blessed in the United States of America where I currently live. You know, for the most part, you know, we're, it's not perfect. Our justice system for sure is not perfect. But um, compared to a lot of places in the world, we do have some semblance of justice, and that's the gift of God to our nation. But if you go to places, third world countries, where there is not really any justice, it is a horrible place to live because those who are wealthy and powerful and and uh, take express their greed and corruption by taking advantage of the poor. And it's like, there is no sense of justice. It's an awful place to live. There's nowhere that you can go to be like, hey, somebody, like I'm being totally taken advantage of here. This isn't right. Somebody do something. But the powerful people who should be doing something about it are the ones doing it many times. So it's like, ah, there's no justice. A land without justice, without a a judge with perfect righteous character who doesn't play favorites and cannot be bribed, um, exercising their role in bringing justice and maintaining order and righteousness, it's an awful place to live. And so we need to celebrate the fact that God is a just judge. Number two, God always gives mercy to those who approach him in faith with genuine contrition and humility. So Psalm 51, 17 you can, is a scripture that talks about that. But we need to know this in terms of God's wrath and his mercy. God always gives mercy if you repent. If you approach God in faith with genuine contrition and humility for your sins and say, God, forgive me. Don't treat me as I deserve for my sins. I humble myself. God, change me. Cleanse me of my sin. Every single time you can be 100% confident he is going to forgive you and he will work. If you keep seeking him, he's going to work in your life to transform your heart. And so you can know that. Number three, God wants everyone, even the wicked, to come to repentance. And he's always working toward this end. We see that in 2 Peter 3, 9, where uh, um, it's stated pretty clearly that God wants everyone to, to come to repentance. And God is always working, even in the wicked, to try and soften their hearts and and draw them to repentance. Number four, and I want to emphasize this one, God is so committed to helping us avoid his wrath that Jesus came and bore the wrath of God for our sins in our place as our Savior. I mean, that's a huge deal. It's like God is merciful and he's also a God of wrath. And it's like, how do they work together? And here's the deal. Jesus, who is the judge, he's like, I, I, I came. I'm so committed to wanting to show you mercy if you'll work with me. He says, I came and I bore the wrath of God for you by dying on the cross. I mean, that is a huge statement. And he says, I bore the wrath of God in your place so that I would not have to dispense the wrath of God upon you as you deserve. And so if we repent and we believe in what he did for us on the cross, he will forgive us because he bore the wrath in our place. But know this for certain, um, a time will come when Jesus will delay judgment no longer. For those who refuse to repent and obey the good news, the gospel, um, he will dispense his wrath upon them. He's going to fix the problem of evil in the world, like I talked about in the last video. Plan A is giving us mercy through our willing cooperation where we repent, and then he forgives our sin and transforms us from the inside out so that he removes our evil nature and gives us a new nature that loves God and loves people. Plan B, though, if 
for those who refuse to repent. And the Bible makes it clear that there's going to be a huge percentage of the world that will persist in their rebellion no matter what. He is still going to fix the problem of evil, and he'll do that by dispensing his wrath upon them. So it's like, well, you know, what do I do with stuff like that? Here's what you need to do. Fear the Lord. That's what you need to do. Like God is telling us, because he's good, he's like, guys, this is who I am. I've always been this way. I'm the same God in the New Testament that I've always been in the Old Testament. I, I, I do not change. The Lord is the same. You know, he does not change. He's perfectly consistent in his character. He's not arbitrarily, randomly just flying on the handle, flying off the handle, has it, wakes up in a bad mood and just lashes out because he's mad at something else and takes it out on some poor little person who does little thing. He's not like that. He's perfect. Perfectly whole in his character. God is love, and his his wrath is always aimed at eliminating wickedness, so that it's like if you so that righteousness and love can flourish. God wants the earth and the people who are living there to be blessed. Finally, in the sixth point, I want to make about God's wrath and His mercy is that God is predictable and He's clear in how He dispenses His wrath. His judgments are never random. They're not excessive. They're not biased or overly harsh. His word is absolutely clear that those who repent of their sins and choose to do good will be forgiven and rewarded with everlasting honor and blessing. Yet, those who refuse to repent and choose to do evil will experience God's wrath and anger. And as you study the end time prophecies in the Bible, you're going to see God rewarding the righteous and God punishing, dispensing his wrath upon the wicked. And I'm just going to end by reading this verse out of Romans 2, 5 through 11. Just listen closely to this. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism because he is a good and righteous judge. So God is a merciful God. He is also a God of wrath, and he's perfectly whole in his character. In fact, when you study the scriptures, you see that God's wrath is actually a manifestation of his goodness and purity of his heart. What I want to do is I want to continue focusing on the theme that I've started developing in the previous two videos. So in the first two videos ago, I started talking about introducing Jesus as a judge. And then in the last video in the playlist, I talked about how can a God of wrath also be a merciful God at the same time without any contradiction. And we talked about that in the last video. And what I want to do in this video is I want to give you six reasons to celebrate Jesus as a judge. And so you may be asking the question, what does this theme of Jesus being a judge have to do with understanding the end times? And uh, that's actually a really good question. And here's the answer. Many of the prophecies in the Bible, the end times prophecies in the Bible, 
actually vividly describe Jesus pouring out wrath and judgment upon the ungodly or the wicked. And so if we do not understand and uh, the importance and the beauty of Jesus acting in his role as a righteous judge, we're not going to understand these end-time passages that describe that in vivid, vivid detail. So uh, it, this is a major theme, actually. Understanding Jesus as a judge is a major theme in the Bible from Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament, and it's necessary for God to act as a righteous judge in order to heal the earth of wickedness and establish a new heavens and a new earth that's filled with righteousness and justice and where there's no more sin and no more death and no more brokenness on the earth. So I want to begin by looking at one of these uh, passages that actually vividly describe the, the physical return of Jesus to the earth. And there's many passages in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that talk about this, but I'm going to look at Isaiah 63, and I just want to walk through this with you for a few minutes. And uh, a couple other passages, you could also read Revelation 18 and 19, um, Zechariah chapter 14, 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10, Ezekiel 38 and 39. I mean, there's many more passages, but those are some ones that describe Jesus when he returns in vivid detail, and you're going to see a violence about Jesus in these passages. I'm going to read this to you in Isaiah 63. You're going to see God, one of the major things he's doing when he returns is pouring out his wrath and his judgment upon the wicked. And uh, he's bringing an end to the rebellion in the earth so that he can begin the healing and restoration process. And so it's like a patient who has cancer. And before they can begin even healing from all the effects of the cancer, you first have to get rid of all the cancer in their body. And the same way with the earth, uh, it's like Jesus is going to come back and he is going to deal with the sin and the rebellion that's in the earth. That's one of the major themes, the first things he does when he physically returns back to the planet. And so Isaiah 63, it says, Isaiah's writing and he sees this vision of Jesus returning and he says, who is this coming from Edom, from the city of Basra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes marching in his great strength? And of course, it's Jesus, and God responds to Isaiah's question in the, in, the, in, in the next sentence. It says, it is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. That's interesting. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. So, uh, and then Isaiah asks him a question. He says, well, why are your clothes so red as if you have been treading out grapes? And then God replies, I have been treading the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. And, it, and Jesus is talking about, he's like uh, this description of when he returns his robes are actually, and, and uh, John saw the same thing in Revelation chapter 19. Jesus returns and he slaughters, I mean physically slaughters, the Antichrist armies. So we're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are, are dedicated their lives to essentially worshiping Satan. And Jesus comes, and, and uh, we, the end time story, we'll get into this in a few sessions, but the Antichrist has uh, 
actually taken his armies. He's surrounded the city of Jerusalem. He's actually broken in, and he's, uh, he's killed a lot of the Jewish people there, and they're, they're, they're stealing, they're looting, they're, they're uh, raping, the Bible says, uh, the, the women who are there as well. And it's just an awful picture of what he's doing. And Jesus comes back physically from heaven and actually slaughters the Antichrist armies, liberating Israel, the Jewish people, from, uh, from the Antichrist armies that are there attacking. And so Jesus is actually pouring out his wrath here upon the ungodly. And it says, verse 4, For the time has come for me to avenge my people, he's talking about Israel, to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. Like Jesus is like, I'm amazed that this injustice was happening on the earth. Like these antichrist armies actually like attacking and doing this to my people. It's like nobody was doing anything about it. I mean, there were nobody else who was standing with them on the earth. No, no other nations, I would imagine, he's talking about. And so Jesus says, I, I was amazed that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm and my wrath sustained me. I crushed the nations in my anger and made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. Now, this is Jesus talking. This is a prophecy of the return of the Lord. And you could read uh, Revelation chapter 19, Zechariah chapter 14, describes this exact same event. And uh, because, uh, not Ezekiel, Zechariah saw this in chapter 14 of his book. John the Revelator saw this. uh, in uh, John the Apostle, I mean, in the book of Revelation saw this. And actually, this language is is used in in Revelation 19 as well, some of the language from Isaiah 63. So we just see this major theme. When Jesus returns, he's dispensing his wrath— upon the ungodly. And then you have other things he's doing as well. You have the the bull judgments from the book of Revelation that he's pouring out, uh, the bulls of wrath, you know, they're referred to many times. And, And so we see this picture. Jesus, he's coming to save and liberate his people who are being oppressed. However, his act of salvation requires an act of judgment against the wicked and against their enemies. And so we see that, and this is actually a theme throughout the Bible many times, and I'll get into this a little bit more in in a few minutes. Many times uh, God's acts of salvation are simultaneously acts of judgment at the same time. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I just, what I want you to see in this this bite-sized piece of information I'm giving you today is Jesus as a judge is a major part of the end time prophecies about his return. And so we got to have an appreciation for him doing what he's doing as a judge where we're not embarrassed by him. uh, We're actually proud of him. We're glad he's doing it. it. He's doing it in righteousness and we're able to celebrate that or else if we don't have a place in our understanding of the nature of God for his wrath and his judgment, then we're never gonna understand the end times prophecies in the Bible because the end times prophecies in the Bible are filled 
with God's wrath and judgment. Now, that's not the only thing. I mean, we, it's filled with his salvation and his restoration and healing and et cetera, et cetera, as we'll get into as we go on in these videos. But you have to understand that, uh, that God is just as well as merciful. And those two aspects of his nature, they never contradict one another. So um, I want to just look at verse 7. I read you Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. He sees this vision of Jesus robes stained in the blood of his enemies as he returns. And look at Isaiah's response to seeing Jesus the judge. Verse 7, he says, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. Isn't that amazing? Like Isaiah sees this violent vision of Jesus coming black, slaughtering his enemies in judgment. And the first response that Isaiah has is, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. Isn't that interesting? I just, I want to emphasize that because so many times people, they, they think that like when God's acting in judgment that he's suspended his love. And that's not true. God is love. He's merciful. And God is just. And actually him exercising righteous judgment is a manifestation of his love and his mercy. It's actually a manifestation of his goodness. And Isaiah understood that. He says, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice, listen to this, in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. So we see there's no contradiction between God's judgment and between God's mercy. They're, they're, they, they are seamlessly intertwined, complementing one another, not contradicting one another. So I want to um, give you, just really quickly in the remainder of this video, I want to give you six reasons why we should celebrate uh, Jesus as a judge. <clears throat> First, number one, we worship Jesus as a judge because a land without justice is a terrible place to live. You go to Syria right now, you go to these places that are in civil war, there's no sense of justice. There's just like ISIS and one army against another army and they're clashing and the people who are there caught up there, it's like you have to be on one side or the other. And if you're somewhere in between, I mean, it is terrible. Like whoever has the gun and whoever has the power, there's people being robbed and murdered ruthlessly, like indiscriminately uh, raped, abused, you know, children who are being abducted as child brides, and there's nobody there who has the power to bring justice and make the wrong things right and stop these wicked things from happening. A land without justice is a terrible place to live. The fact that Jesus is a judge, it actually comforts us because he ensures that the vulnerable will be protected. The bad guys will not get away with evil. All the wrong things will be made right, and the earth will be a glorious place to live forever. So the second reason we celebrate Jesus as a judge is that we worship him as a judge because he is merciful. So although we deserve the wrath of God for our sins, Jesus' preference is actually that we would repent so that he could show us mercy rather than punish us as our sins rightly deserve. And uh, Ezekiel 18.23, God says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? The answer is no, he declares the Lord. He says, rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live? And so it's like, man, I'm glad the guy who's 
entrusted with being the judge of all the earth has such a merciful heart, and he actually will go out of his way. He even be, bore the wrath of God himself so that we could have the option to turn away from our sin and he could give us mercy instead of judgment. But the God, the God Jesus, who bore the wrath of God in our place, will himself dispense the wrath of God upon those who refuse to repent of their sin and look upon him for salvation. So Jesus' judgments are often given as disciplinary measures to get our attention and provoke us to repent while there is still time. So as it's actually, even many of his judgments are, they're, they're limited. They're not the full measure of what we deserve for our sin. They're limited and they're to wake us up and get our attention to help us repent while, before it's too late, before we die. So as an act of his mercy, God can release these disciplinary judgments when we are stubborn, when we're unresponsive, as a last-ditch effort to help us avoid a worse and final punishment in the lake of fire forever, which happens at the end of the age. So a great example of this is actually what God did with King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. You know, uh, an arrogant King Nebuchadnezzar, he was worshiping idols and and false gods, and he was arrogant, and God actually uh, made him become like an animal for seven years. It's like he lost his sanity, King Nebuchadnezzar. God caused it. He lost his sanity for seven years, and God told him that this was going to happen to him before it happened. God said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're full of pride. He's like, this is what's going to happen, and it's a judgment, and it's to get your attention so that you repent of your pride and humble yourself and worship the true God. And so at the end of the seven-year judgment, Nebuchadnezzar repents of his pride and he glorifies God. And so, um, man, we just praise God for that. You know, my opinion, you know, we'll see if I'm right. But when I read Daniel chapter four, I think Nebuchadnezzar gets saved at the end of that chapter. Like he has a wake-up call when this judgment hits him. And it was enough to get, it took that extreme of a judgment to get his attention. But it wasn't the full extreme of what he deserved for his sins, it was just enough to wake him up and get his attention because his stubbornness required that. So oftentimes, God's acts of judgment are themselves acts of mercy to get us to repent so that uh, we can avoid the final permanent wrath of God being dispensed upon us uh, if we don't repent before we die. Third reason to worship Jesus as a judge is because God's acts of judgment are often acts of salvation at the same time. And of course, uh, uh, all, all of God's judgments are redemptive and purposeful. They are never harsh, undeserved, or excessive. Throughout the scriptures, God is celebrating for saving Israel from over 400 years of being enslaved in Egypt. And you can read this story in the book of Exodus. And it's interesting to note that it, you can read this in Exodus 6.6, 6, for example, that the very act of power that permanently delivered Israel from the threat of slavery— uh, was also simultaneously an act of judgment that killed the Egyptian army. So you have God parts the Red Sea, Israel goes through, he hardens the heart of Pharaoh so that the army of Egypt goes through after them. Only when Egypt's armies are in the Red Sea, God causes the sea to close together and swallow them up and they're all killed. It was an act of judgment, but it was also that same act was an act of liberation, a, a, fi a final breakthrough and salvation for Israel from the tyranny the, of, of the threat of slavery that Egypt um, uh, had threatened them with. So 
four, we worship Jesus as a judge because his acts of judgment reveal his glory to the lost and lead them to repentance. So you got uh, many years later, or, or, or a while later, in the book of Joshua chapter two, you can read this story. Uh, Israel sends spies into the promised land, and there's a pagan woman who does not know the true God. Her name is Rahab. She's a prostitute. And, uh, but she had heard the stories. This is from her own lips. You can read it in Joshua 2, 8 through 12. She had heard the stories of how God had destroyed the Egyptian army to liberate Israel. And when she heard the stories of God's judgment upon Egypt and his, the same acts of power that liberated Israel, she came to know, she goes, I know that God is with you and your God is the true God. And this woman actually come, becomes a believer in the true God, the God of Israel, because she had heard of God's judgments and it was a revelation to her that, man, your God is the real God. I'm gonna worship him. And she turns away from her idols and worships God and actually enters into the family line of Jesus. That's a, a longer story, but it's an awesome truth. Is His acts of judgment actually reveal his glory to the lost and lead them to repentance. Number five, we worship Jesus as judge because God trains the nations in righteousness through acts of judgment. Listen to this verse really closely. And I know I've been talking for, yikes, like 20 something minutes now, but, and I got to wrap this video up. I apologize that it's going long. I'm trying to squeeze a whole bunch of stuff into one little video and it's ended up going too long. But um, listen to this verse. Isaiah 26, 9 through 10. When your judgments come upon the earth, listen to this, the people of the world learn righteousness. Now listen to the next verse. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. So we often think that if people could just experience how kind God is, then they will repent of their sins and serve Christ. And praise God, this in many cases, pr has proven to be true. You know, God shows his kindness to his enemies and people are overwhelmed by his love and they repent of their sin and they start following Jesus. I love that about God, but here's the deal. The Bible makes it clear that, that um, there are, there are a, a, a significant percentage of people in the earth who will never learn righteousness without sound discipline in spite of God's kindness to them. So, one of the ways that the people of the world learn righteousness, according to Isaiah 26, 9, is that when God punishes sin, they learn righteousness. So when God releases judgment against sin, uh, the people of the world learn what is right, and they learn what is wrong according to God's definition of right and wrong. And if God never judges sin, wicked people will not repent of evil, even if God lavishes blessings and grace on them. I could go into a lot more detail about that point, but for time's sake, I'll just have to move on. Last reason, number six, that we should worship Jesus as a judge is because God keeps wicked nations in check through acts of judgment. Jesus is solely responsible for raising up and tearing down the nations. He blesses, and this is clear in Scripture. If you just read the Bible and take it at face value, he blesses and sustains righteous nations to, that seek him and obey him. He punishes and gets rid of wicked nations who refuse to submit to his rule. It's like God uses his judgment as really his mercy to the people of the earth to actually keep wicked governments in check. It's, it's a type of restraining mechanism that God uses to keep them in check. Um, 
and, and that's, a, that's a good thing uh, for all of us. So here's, here's the conclusion of this video, and i got to wrap this up. This is what I want you to leave with. All, 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 all of Jesus' nature is lovely and good. All of him. And in Song of Solomon 5, the bride of Christ actually boasts in all of Jesus' attributes with loving delight. And she declares, after going on describing all these attributes of her beloved, she concludes with, yes, he is altogether lovely. And she's like, I love all of him. I love his mercy, his kindness. He's slow, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love, but I love his justice. I love, I, I love all of him. He's brilliant. He's beautiful. He's wise. He, he has all the attributes. There's not one of his attributes that's dark. And it's rather than feeling embarrassed, or apologetic about Jesus' activities as a judge, we should praise him for it. Jesus is altogether lovely. Like every single part of him, he has no dark side. That's so important. God is light. He's altogether lovely. He has no dark side. And and a lot of times you say, well, God's wrath, that's the dark side. It's like, that's not his dark side. That's his light. That's his goodness being manifest. It's absolutely necessary in order for righteousness and peace to flourish in the earth. Um, his character, his personality, his, his leadership, all of it, it's excellent, it's lovely, even his judgment and his wrath. May the Holy Spirit give us insight uh, into Jesus' beauty as a judge so that we can proudly say, I love everything about you, Jesus. Um, I'm not embarrassed about your activities as a judge. And even if I don't fully understand what you're doing at this moment with that judgment, I can say, you know what? I trust you. I see your character in scripture. Your track record is perfect. It's impeccable. Like, you know what you're doing and it's good. And so I trust you and I worship you as a judge, as a merciful God. I I, I just give you praise for that. So I just want to pray, God, in Jesus' name, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for all my brothers and sisters, myself, God, that you would help us reveal the beauty of Jesus as a judge to us from the scriptures reveal to us the beauty of Jesus as a grudge so that as a judge so that we would grow in love for him in this way and joyfully proclaim his beauty and his nature in his judgments uh, to the world around us so that many would see you and be saved amen Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Five State Revival Podcast. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to go to amazon.com and order a copy of my book. It's called Relentless Passion, and the subtitle is Encounter God, Burn with Passion for Jesus. I wrote this book just to give practical instruction from the scriptures for how to maintain a wholehearted love and passion for Jesus throughout every season of our life. And I think you're going to find it uh, really helpful uh, to you in your walk with the Lord. So if you haven't done that, uh, I encourage you to go ahead and do that. And guys, thanks again for listening to this podcast. And I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode. God bless you.